The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about goodness and what that all means. And I've just finished reading this wonderful book called Ordinary Goodness, The Surprising Effortless Path to Creating a Life of Meaning and Beauty and this, uh, we have the great author with us, and that he is Edward Fulyun, and he is a senior minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, California. And he's author also of other books called The Power of Meditation, co-author with Chris Michaels of uh, of Spirit and um, of Spirit in let's see, Spirit is Calling is another one. And Practice the Presence, and he's also co-author with Joyce Dufala of Seeing Good at Work. And he lives in Santa Rosa, California, and he's with us from Northern California right by phone. So thank you so much, Edward, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, you know, I know that you're a minister and you've written other books. So what inspired you to write Ordinary Goodness? Well, I wrote this book for people who wanted to continue to have a sense that despite all the problems that are in the world, that there was still goodness present in the world, an ordinary kind of goodness that connects us to each other and that we can turn our attention to because there's so much change in the world and so much going on that sometimes good-hearted people are disoriented and can lose their connection to what is also simultaneously going on in the world, and I call it goodness. Right, and goodness is very much related to love, in which, you know, the name of our show is Fighting for Love, and it means fighting against anything that gets in the way of love. And I I love what you start out in your introduction. You have a quote by C.S. Lewis from The Four Loves, and he warns that, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. <laughs> Wrap it up carefully. Right. Round it with, with hobbies and luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in the safe, casket, or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become an unbreakable, impenetrable, ir- and irredeemable. 
to love is to be vulnerable. I thought that was so beautiful. And sometimes to be good is to be vulnerable too, right? Right. All of the things that go along with love and goodness, like kindness and generosity and compassion, and all of these things require a certain transparency and vulnerable, and they don't have guarantees. We can't go into it for a guarantee. It's just like that quote says, and we go into it because there really isn't another way to live that will result in a satisfying and deep life. Yes, and I love you talk about your grandma, and I, I love you to talk about that because that's what you apparently really got all of your, uh, she was your role model, she was your your hero, your heroine, so to speak, right? Yes. So tell us yes, about she that. was, and for Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, she was for me and for many people. She was, um, she didn't judge us. She was available to us to listen. And because there was no condemnation, we were able to really be transparent and vulnerable. We could tell her anything and she would listen and take it in. It's almost as if um, she didn't have the capacity to see anything wrong with us. And Rather than give us permission to be bad, what they did was give us the inspiration to try and be better people because I think we knew that there was a safe harbor in her. We could go somewhere and it was like downloading, you know, we could just show up and start pouring out our hearts and she had this way of making us feel better by making a cup of tea. Uh, whether you wanted it or not, that was her <laughs> remedy, shouldn't they? <laughs> she would make a cup of tea, and, and we would hardly ever drink it. Typically, we'd be sitting crying and pouring our hearts out to her, and she would always be available, not just to family members, but to anyone who came her way. Yeah, and she didn't have such an easy life, it sounded like, with with her husband. And, right. Yeah, he was... Yeah, she had a... Very challenging family. I think her her own mother had what I would have. She probably had mental illness. I know that she had a problem with alcohol, and and that introduced challenges into the family. And I think um, my grandmother had to cope with that. Had to learn how to be with that. Which I think anybody who's dealt with alcoholism knows it. it, it it's very trying, but it didn't make her bitter. It didn't make her withhold love. It made her patient, and it made her understanding. Her own husband suffered from the same disease, and I have memories of her being, um, you know, maybe it's my young memory, but almost saintly in her patience. Now, although she was my role model, I haven't turned out to be as patient as she was, (laughs) but it, it, it is a reference point, and I think that's the power of a role model, somebody to model your behavior on to aspire to right right now how can we acquire faith when we can't seem to access it on our own you know or how can we when we see all of the newspaper articles about people killing you know and the active shooters and the terrorism you know you kind of wonder where where in the heck is all this goodness are we all really just at our core good? Well, you know, that is the challenge of it. It's it's not either or. It's both and. Everything in the world is there, and it continues to be there, and it continues to be challenging. And at the same time, there are people, role models, not only like my grandmother, but 
ordinary people who are acting out of compassion and kindness. And so the idea is to use their models to remind us and to reconnect our ourselves to these things that we can do in the world, even when it's challenging, things that are truly helpful and good. So I depend on role models, and they don't have to be great role models that are uh, winning the Nobel Peace Prize. They, they can be the, the neighbor next door that helps you when you're too ill to make dinner for yourself. I just recently, a beloved pet of mine, a cat, passed away rather mm. unexpectedly, and I was surprised at how emotionally disturbing it was. And uh, a neighbor of mine in the middle of the night um, came out and helped me to transport my cat to the emergency hospital. And it seemed such a small thing, but in the, in the scope of things, it meant a lot. And these are the sort of role models for people who help each other out. They sometimes don't get the attention that they deserve because of the scope of the difficulty of the world's changes. So part of, in my book, I say one practice is to develop the taste or the habit for paying attention to small acts of kindness and compassion because, you know, when you pay attention to something like that, you stand a better chance of duplicating it in your life. It's not going to make the hardness and the harshness of the world go away, but it's going to make me cope better, and it's possible that it may inspire somebody else to do better themselves. Yes, and and for your neighbor to get up in the middle of the night and go with you to take your kitty to the to the vet was really a huge act of kindness because your your our animals, our pets, are so much like our family. They are our family. Uh, that's true. And so, first of all, my heart goes out to you. And second of all, I'm just glad that you had somebody that was able to do that to to assist you and be there and show the compassion that you really deserve to have. Now you name See, and I count on things like that. that yes. Those those people and those acts, that that gives me faith. Yes, yes. So you named the book "Ordinary Goodness: The Surprising Effortless Path to Creating a Life of Meaning and Beauty." So, when you're talking about that, what what did you mean? Well, the ordinary part of it is a reminder that it doesn't have to be the most awe-inspiring sunset to open our hearts. It can be every sunset. It doesn't have to be the most magnificent act of kindness. It can just be that moment when you say something kind to somebody who's struggling. Um, sometimes these small acts get overpowered by, you know, in our society, everything has to be big and flashy and extraordinary and fast and get our attention. And if the news isn't about something terrible, we don't read it. So ordinary goodness is going on uh, subtly underneath all of this. And so the book is a reminder for, for good-hearted people that that instinct for goodness remains in them all of the time and not to give up it, on it and not to underestimate the power of it. Right. You know, um, every night my husband and I 
before we go to sleep, we tell each other three things that we're grateful for. It could be, you know, it could be something about him, which I usually include. One of my three is that I'm grateful yeah. that he, you know, that he's such a, a good husband or that he did something for me today or that he is so thoughtful or whatever. But usually it's about anything. Like I'm, I'm grateful that my friends are healthy now, you know, if they were sick or I'm grateful yeah. for that our weather is warmer again, you know? So that's, mm-hmm. that's a way of kind of like looking for the good in life. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's nurturing and um, it's like developing your taste for it. And that exercise of saying what you're grateful for, you can take that out into the day and do it silently even if you're standing in line at the grocery store and you see somebody help somebody else, you can silently thank them. You don't even have to say it out in words. It's just the act of training yourself to notice and pay attention. You know, I've, I've heard it said that what you give your attention to um, sometimes grows. Right. It has the effect of amplifying because we're paying attention to it. I think it's, it's, the, it's the way our attention works. What we look at, we see more of. So if you train yourself to pay attention to opportunities to be grateful, you, you know, you, you begin to become good at it. And it seems right. to bring a little balance to the world, a much-needed balance. Right, right. Now, sometimes it's hard to appreciate or be good to ourselves. Um, I've seen this in so many people. I, I, you know, for me, when I see people who are angry people, they're really not happy with themselves. They're not loving themselves. They're not compassionate with themselves. So how can we... Yeah grow that within ourselves how can we grow the compassion within ourselves i think the number one place to begin paying attention is to our self-talk the language that we use with ourselves will often be the sign of how much compassion we're showing for ourselves or not and it is often the case that people who haven't been paying attention they can slip into the habit of Speaking meanly in their thoughts to themselves, say, for example, when they make a mistake or they've done something they regret, and typically people will speak to themselves with a harshness that they wouldn't dare use on a, a child or somebody else, and I think that's because we think it's private in our own head. So self-compassion, it, it's the practice of giving that up and replacing that harsh environment of self-talk that's critical, with something a little more kind, a little gentler. Right, and forgiving ourselves, I guess that would be, if we do make a mistake, you know, being able to forgive ourselves is, is, a, is a form of compassion, don't you think? It is, and it takes practice, doesn't it? Because I think we're our own worst judges. So, you know, it's not the sort of thing that you you do today and it's finished. You have to keep on coming back to the self-forgiveness with gentleness. Yes, yeah, I know sometimes I I do something and I, I kind of beat myself up for it a couple of days and I have to keep reminding myself, look, everything happens for a reason. You learned from this. This is just another one of life's lessons. Give it up already. 
And I yeah. have to kind of, you know, it's like uh, the old cartoons when I was a kid. You'd have a angel on one side and a devil on one side, <laughs> and then the, the devil would be saying, you can't forgive yourself. You're such an idiot. And then the angel is saying, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. It's okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's I think hard. sometimes we worry. <laughs> we worry that if we give too much attention to the angel, we, will, uh, we won't be responsible in the future. We may do the bad deed again. <laughs> but I don't think that's what happens. I think that the result of self-compassion is a, a, a more acute awareness and a more, a more sensible approach to life. There, you know, it's so beautiful to be compassionate to other people. Why wouldn't we respond the same way to our own compassion? Exactly. And I think the more we can be compassionate for ourselves, the more that we can be compassionate for other people, right? I think it, I think I think it kind so. of, it's almost like they say, you know, you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself. Or it would seem similar that if you can't have compassion for yourself, it would be hard for you to have compassion for someone else. I think that um, it's... You, you know, when you when you practice something, you get better at it. Right. Just like a musical instrument. So if you practice compassion, whether it's on yourself or someone else, you're going to get better at it. And that's the real key to it, is to keep going, even in times when it's difficult, to keep going, practicing compassion. Yeah. I think that's why we're on this planet, right? Or that's in, we're existing because we have to keep practicing yeah. till we get it right. Or at least till we're ready for the next <laughs> level. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, how about mindfulness? How does that enter into all of this? Um, mindfulness really is, mindfulness is the heart of uh, meditation for me. And it's the practice of slow ourselves down enough that we can stop the busyness of our thought and notice life around us because it's very difficult to be present for the goodness of life and the goodness in people and the beauty in the world when we're moving so quickly through the world. Right. So similar word to mindfulness would be carefulness or paying attention. And these are the kinds of things that allow us to see through the craziness, so to speak, into what is beyond and underneath it all. When my mind is moving really, really fast, that's, that's when I'm more likely to do something unkind. Right. When I'm paying attention and I'm slowing it down, then that interest is that I can show interest in them in a way that is very beautiful. It's just like a car going at top speed. It, the journey becomes, the faster the speed, the more dangerous the journey and the more likely an accident. So slowing it down gives me the opportunity like in a car to, to see the beauty of the landscape. So my, uh, meditation is a way to practice mindfulness, but it can also be the, the practice you mentioned earlier of, before going to bed, naming three things that you're grateful for. That's a type of mindfulness practice. Uh, it's got the element of slowing down. It's got the er element of taking care and paying attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've been meditating for many years, and I, you know, I used to meditate twice a day, and now I'm, I'm happy to get up at five and be able to meditate every day for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I, if I don't do it, I can really feel the difference. 
You know, if right. I don't take that time for silence and um, and people think, oh, I don't have time to meditate, you know. So what do you tell people if they the say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I say this world of ours is so beautiful and it's filled up with clues and, and cues and information. But if I don't listen to it, then what's the point? So the only way for me to listen is to be still for a moment. And, and so when people say I'm too busy for meditation, I, I say you without the meditation, I seem to get busier and busier. With the meditation, I seem to be, I, I start the day right on the right foot. I set the tone for the day and I'm able to extend my kindness much further into the day than if I don't start my day with meditation. For many people, it's a challenge to begin meditating because there's not a lot of emphasis in our culture for it. There's not a lot of value placed on it. So they really have, they, they really have to have a, a willingness to learn something that um, there's not a lot of practice in our culture form. So I, I say, if you start with one minute a day, right. you give yourself one minute to sit still without any instruction, without any attempt to do anything, with no agenda, just sit still for one minute a day, you will very soon see a benefit out of it, and it's most likely that you'll want more. Yes, yes. Or, you know, or just like listening to a, a bell or listening to yes. your breathing. I know for me to start my meditation, I just listen to my breath before I even, I have a mantra, but even before I do that, I just really listen to my breath for a minute or so just to just yeah. listen to it calm down. So there are so many ways and it's so free on, on the internet. You can go to YouTube, yeah. you can have guided meditation. So people, right. especially because we're sitting on a campus of the University of California in Irvine, and I think a lot of these students are stressed out. The people driving by going to work are stressed out. So if they can just take the time to just pull up on YouTube um, a meditation, a guided meditation, and just close their eyes and just kind of let themselves go into that and then take maybe a minute of silence after that, that would really help, I think, because if yeah. we don't slow down, you're right. If we don't slow down, we are into our head. We're not aware of what's going on around us, and um, and we are probably not very good listeners either. Yeah. You know, beautiful exercise for people who are in busy environments like on campus or in the business world is to use their smartphone or their smart device to put an alarm on for some random time in the day and then go about your work. And then when the alarm goes on, it's a call back to attention, and then you can just pause for a moment and do that listen-to-your-breathing practice that you just mentioned. That is a beautiful thing because you'll start to see how far away from your center of peace you might have traveled if it rings at 2.15 in the afternoon, and you go, oh, my goodness, look at what I've become in my mind. Mm. I may not be treating people around me as carefully as I would like. I, I may have forgotten what is the most important value in my life. If it's kindness, am I acting kindness, so, kindly? So that little bell, that little reminder is just a wonderful call back to the, to the awareness of how do I want to show up in the world. Yes. So what are some simple practices that we can do to increase our sense of goodness? 
Besides meditation. Oh, there's, <laughs> besides meditation. There's so many things that we can do. Apart from the slowing down to appreciate people, um, we can begin to announce beautiful things but in the form of giving a simple com- compliment. Or if you're not one to say, say things. So people, sometimes people are shy. You can write a note of appreciation. Um, you know, I, I remember... I was giving staff reviews to my staff once and there was one of our trustees was sitting with me and to witness the, the process. And at, at the end of it, he said, you know, you could be more generous with your praise. Mm. And I realized that I hadn't been forthcoming to say what was good and what was right. I spent most of my staff reviews telling my staff how they could be better. Mm. And that one comment radically changed how I approached my staff reviews and do you know that when I started to focus on appreciation and compliment the staff blossomed it's so amazing that's such a simple practice tell people what is good about them what you appreciate about them whether you do it in words or in a note and you can fully expect something wonderful to happen the whole world responds well to appreciation even animals or even sure. even inanimate objects you know if you if you treat something with appreciation you end up treating it better and then it works better yes yes it's like the the, the experiments that they've done with plants when you talk sweetly to the plants and say you're a beautiful plant and i'm watering you and you're growing so beautiful and then they seem to respond you know, I mean, yeah. they're not an animal, but they are a living thing. But, yeah. oh, yeah, I know. It's so Everything. true that the more you talk about what people are doing right, it kind of extinguishes what they're doing wrong. Because once they know what they're yeah. doing right, they keep, they want to get more of that appreciation. We all want to be loved. We all want to be appreciated, right? It's the most simple and the most magical power we have to love one another. It, you know, and that's what appreciation is. It's a form of love. We just flourish under the, the bright light of kindness. Yes, yes. And so you talk about um, awe. Uh, what role does awe play in creating a more meaningful life? I think that if we develop the habit of pursuing awe or looking for it or being awe-filled, it can really open us up to the subtleties of life. And like I said earlier on, it doesn't have to be the most colorful sunset to give us the awe or the, the biggest mountain or the most beautiful person. Awe is available in the simple things in life. Like, for example, if you take an orange and you're going to eat it for lunch, but before you eat it, you take a moment to look at that orange as if you were going to have to describe it to someone who doesn't have the gift of vision. You would have to pay special attention to the texture and maybe even describe the smell. And if you do that, if a person takes time to really look into life, you can't help but be opened up to awe. And what happens when we are allowing ourselves to be awe-filled, what comes naturally out of that is this sense of mystery and delight in being here. The more you look for awe, the more you see in it. Again, it brings a much-needed balance to the world where what we seem to be looking at only is controversy and conflict. Mm -hmm. Awe is like an antidote and a medicine. Yes, I love that. You know, I taught a a class for lawyers on 
uh, mindfulness, and I brought in um, a choice of people could take either an almond or a Hershey's Kiss, <clears throat> and I and I had them take a great deal of time, you know, looking at it and then deciding when they're going to taste it and how they're going to taste it. And they had to describe it to their partner. So if one took an almond mm-hmm. and the other one took and <clears throat> it was amazing what people were coming up with. And, you know, one gentleman was saying, gee, I was thinking about where this almond came from, what tree it came from, what it had to go through to get here, how many people had to, had to take care of it, and what they had to do to shuck the almond. <laughs> and it was just, right. when this guy got into it, it was just amazing how he had never even tasted all the little ridges on the almond before. He used to just pop them in his mouth. And he was yeah. in complete awe of this little almond. It was very cute that he explained it yeah. to the whole room. <laughs> And yeah, you're reminding me. Yeah. You're reminding me of the first time I took a, a watercolor class, and our first project was to go outside and look at the sky. And before, I thought the sky was obviously blue, but the teacher pointed out to us that there were so many other colors in the sky, and now I can never look at the sky the same way again, (laughs) because to me, it's filled up with violet and all sorts of other colors, and I think probably your attorney friend, you can never look at an almond the same way again. (laughs) Exactly. Well, believe it or not, we are out of time, so I want to just tell people about this wonderful book, Ordinary Goodness. The Surprising Effortless Path to Creating a Life of Meaning and Beauty. And this is by Edward uh, Fulyun. And I think you'll enjoy reading this book. And he has also written The Power of Meditation. Do you want to just give your website and then it's time to go, Edward? Yes, certainly. It's steppingstonesbooksandgifts.org. And we will have you back again. So stay in touch, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. you got to fight both night and day. Doesn't matter what some people may say. Don't be the lambs, cry, be the lion's roar, cause love is worth buying.